I'm back in the saddle again. Broadcasting live on Star Worldwide Networks, Sharon Camarillo's fun and fast times. Nobody holds a candle to me my red high heels. Join National Hall of Famer and author Sharon Camarillo as she inspires, educates, and entertains while exploring the fastest growing equine sport, barrel racing. Get information from top trainers, competitors, and equine educators. Tips on training, competition, hauling, nutrition, and more. And now, live from the beautiful San Joaquin Valley of California, here's your host, Sharon Camarillo. Joining me today on Fun and Fast Times is Cole Price. I met Cole in Illinois while doing clinics at the Blackhawk College, and this man impressed me, or I should say young student impressed me, as one of the most focused young writers that I'd ever met. We'll be right back. It don't get no better than this road I'm on. It's all going my way The South Point Hotel, Casino, and Spa is legendary for its old-fashioned Las Vegas hospitality. Thank you to owners Michael and Paula Gaughan, who treat every guest like family. The South Point Equestrian Center and Preferred Pavilion is host to equestrian events of all disciplines, including the headquarters each December for the National Finals Rodeo and the United States Team Roping Finals. Definitely the place to be, not only during the NFR, but throughout the year. Make sure to check out the list of top entertainers and activities for the entire family, including bowling alleys, theater, award-winning food, great gaming tables, and loose slots. Make the South Point Hotel, Casino, and Spa your first stop on your next trip to Nevada. The Barrel Racing Superstore is your one-stop shop, and we're here to help you. We have Rainsman bits, including Sharon's entire collection and those hard-to-find discontinued favorites that we're committed to keeping in stock. You can build the saddle of your dreams with our experts, including seat size, tooling, and colors, so you can have a truly custom saddle. If you need electronic timers for your arena or association, we have them. Call us, 530-570-1852, or go to BarrelRacingSuperstore.com. We're here for your success. This is Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. And now, back to Sharon. We've got Cole Price on the line. Welcome back. If you get a chance to refer back to where I first interviewed Cole in 2015 on our third podcast, it was amazing to introduce this young writer and his big aspirations. Part of those, and I'm going to let him elaborate, is to become a a fraternity derby champion. Uh, He set his goal to become the youngest million-dollar reigner and have his own training barn. Today, Cole has accomplished those goals. He and his wife, Kelsey, own Cole Price Performance Horses. They're expecting a baby in the fall, and life is good for the Price family. I'm honored to welcome Cole Price to Fun and Fast Times. Where does this phone call find you today, Cole? 
I'm currently in my hotel room at the South Point Casino. We're at the High Roar Raining Classic in Las Vegas. Well, thank you. I know you had to juggle around your riding schedule, but would you tell us a little bit about the road that eventually landed you in Pilot Point and the opportunity to be at the South Point and travel around the country with your horses? We met when I was in college at Blackhawk, Illinois, and I worked for Mike Davis at the time. I was there for five years, and then I went to work for Gabe Hutchins, and that was in Princeton, Kentucky, and then we ended up moving to Ardmore, Oklahoma. Um, I think that was 2015, 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. And then late in 2015, I started up my own business. Since then, I've made the finals at every major event. One of my goals at the time was becoming a million dollar rider. And I believe currently I'm at like 1.1 or $1.2 million in lifetime earnings. So honestly, it's just been a, a road of goals and just keep your head down and, you know, get through the rough patches at times and keep going forward and on to the next horse show. Well, I really want to promote your strength in focusing and goal setting. And I know that the million dollar road to the horse was amazing. And I, I want you to share that because I think it's only in its second year they had at the South Point recently. Some of my listeners don't come from the reigning side of our industry so would you explain the the million dollar road to the horse contest so taylor sheridan who is the producer of probably one of the best tv shows i'm going to say we've ever seen yellowstone he has been involved in reigning i think he got in it just through a hobby and his goal was really to promote the western way of life and the western industry and he started with just the rainers so the first year of the Run for Million, the way it was set up, it was, it was pretty much an invitational to where the top 15 riders got selected to run for a, for a million dollars added, in, in which meant it'd pay out $500,000 to the winner, and currently is, I believe, the highest payout in the Western industry. But since then, he has brought on the cow horse, and now actually his newest goal, I believe next year, is they're going to do the cutters too. But the way it's set up now is there's two qualifiers for the Open. There's one at the Cactus Classic in Scottsdale in March. And there you got to be the top 10. And also there's qualifier Friday night. It's a, it's a 150,000 added shootout. But they take, the, I believe it's the top six now. Saturday night, and this is held at the South Point Casino in Las Vegas. You get to watch... 15, 16 of the best horses and best riders arguably ever competing to win the $500,000. And I was lucky enough last year to have gotten to win it. I was actually the very first person to have won it. First year, there was a tie and I was one of the first people to, to win it. But there's a TV show called The Last Cowboy that Paramount put on. It was CMT last year, but it's based off of the lead up to that event. So I think it's like a six or seven episode TV series leading up to, you know, our lives and leading up to that event, how much that event will change your life. And it was a pretty special event for me to win that. I think for me, it was my first big major win. And honestly, it felt good just to get the monkey off the back. (laughs) You know, I know one thing for sure, I'm going to make a plan to put the million dollar contest in South Point on my schedule for 2023. Honestly, if you're a horse lover, even if you're not into raining or whatever, 
it is the neatest event I, I believe you'd ever go to. Maybe very similar to the NFR. It's an event like you've never seen before. It's incredible. Very classy event. I think being held at Las Vegas, you know, really, it's a good reason for people to go to Vegas. I think some people use that as an excuse. And then you get to go watch the most athletic horses out there. And it's pretty, pretty cool. I've heard rumor. I and mean, I know the year that I won it, Taylor was kind of talking about it. But I know the goal is to for it to pay a million dollars to the winner. That's, so amazing. that's pretty spectacular. It and I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that shortly. But I know my home away from home during the national finals is the South Point, And I would love to have another opportunity during the year to spend some time Michael Gaughan is so generous and he takes such good oh, care of us. And I wanted to yeah, say congratulations on the baby coming this fall. Your beautiful wife, Kelsey, you make quite a team. Oh, thank you. We're, we're super excited. I think we're getting, you know, we're chomping at the bit for November to come because we're, <laughs> we're both getting pretty excited. Yes, but what did you tell me? The baby is due and it's a little boy, I believe. I guess I can let that out. Yep. So, so the, Two days so, before the futurity? Yeah, the baby is due three days before we move into the fraternity. So we're hoping that we can get induced the week before and, you know, make everything smooth. But the fraternity is going to be very different this year for me. <laughs> well, it makes me emotional just to see such a aspiring young man grow into a remarkable gentleman at this stage of your life. And you know, you have such great work ethic, Cole. I mean, you ride, as we talked before, 12 to 13 horses a day. You made the comment to me that when you were in college, when you weren't riding, you were thinking, always striving to be the best Cole that you can be. With that said, how do you manage the mental game that you've educated yourself, that you've planned, you prepared at an early age, and it's just developed such an amazing road for you to follow as you age? So there's two things for me that I think they, they work hand in hand perfectly. I have two obsessions. I have an obsession with horses, and I've always been this way. So I guess for me, it's based off of the love of the horse. Not even so much necessarily horse training as far as just being a good horseman. That's a big goal of mine every year is to make myself a better horseman. And, you know, sometimes I would say a lot of times, when you learn to understand how a horse thinks and why they're doing stuff, you, I don't want to say don't have to work as hard, but it seems like you have a lot longer time in your mind to train this horse. I remember when I first started out, a fraternity horse, we usually start somewhere spring of the two-year-old year, and our big fraternity is in November, December of the three-year-old year. So basically, you got 24 months. Well, I remember when I first started out, man, that 24 months felt like you only had three months to get these things ready just because everything happened fast. You know, you didn't understand why they were doing it. So as I'm getting more experience and I really try to focus on my horsemanship, it feels like I got 10 years to train one now. So I feel like I can do more by doing less. That's always been a big goal of mine. Probably ever since you've met me, I, you know, I always looked at things a little differently and I always pride myself on becoming a better horseman, taking care of them, you know, how to prevent injuries obviously if you're competitive injuries are going to happen how do you rehab those horses you know how do you build a plan around those horses so first and foremost I think the big goal of mine has always been being a horseman I do think a horseman will always outdo a horse trainer for say and I think a lot of young kids coming up they want to be a horse trainer but don't take the time to understand about being a horseman that has always been an obsession of mine so I guess for me it's always been easy to stay hooked 
as I get more experience, you just learn that some horses just don't want to do it and, and they need to find a different career. So you learn how to handle your emotions with that. But for me, I guess I've always had the obsession with just horses in general, whether it's barrel horses, cow horses. I appreciate a quality horse and I appreciate the mind of a quality horse. And then the second obsession I've always had, I've always had an obsession with getting better, how to pick yourself apart. Never been one to really pat myself on the back for things that I've done good. I always try to pick apart my weaknesses. I learned from an early age, you have to be okay with admitting your weaknesses. I think a lot of people don't want to tell you their weaknesses and they hide from it. But if you don't understand your weaknesses, you'll never get better. And I've always been okay with that. And, you know, every year I try to pretty much obsess with my weaknesses. How am I going to make those better and better? And I think those two things have been the main reason that I've had the success as quickly as I have. Thank you for bringing that out. And the fact that, you know, as clinicians, as educators, we try to study patients, study our strengths, celebrate our strengths, and maybe, as you're saying, determine our weaknesses, regardless of the discipline. Our barrel racing, pretty easy to show one right, two lefts or left and two right. But at some time, those horses don't have that good foundation. They're going to fall apart. and you know, when you're Absolutely. crowding horses into the futurity, et cetera, I guess you have to have the knowledge and the understanding that horse may not make a futurity horse. You know, like I make the analogy, I always wanted to dunk a basketball and I worked really hard at it. And really, <laughs> I, I, I was only able to grab the net once. So, you know, some horses just can't do it. That's not their fault. They just physically cannot do it. We probably run into this more than not. There's other horses that physically can that just don't want to do it. And I don't care what you do. You can't make a horse do something. And that's one thing I think you learn with experience. You know, some horses, they can be bred as good as it gets. And if they don't want to do it, you can't make them do it. I mean, that's just part of it. People are the same way. I think horses and people are so similar. If you can understand how to categorize people, you know, like I believe there's horses that you teach how to think. So like I had a horse named Trendsetter who is probably one of the most talented horses, but one of the trickiest horses, you couldn't say no to him. You couldn't say, just do this because his mind worked differently. Like here's an example, like in my rundowns, when I go to my slide and stuff, he'd always want to lean to the wall, which is a common, it happens. Well, a lot of horses, you can just put them back on the straight line, keep showing them where you want and they'll get it. Well, that horse, I had to let him go to the wall and make it very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable until he decided you know, I don't want to go over there anymore. So he had to own his own decision. You had to make that horse think. The other type of horses I think are horses that you don't want to think because they're 100% a follower and the thought of having to make a decision scares them. As a horseman, I've learned how to categorize different horses. And, and there's no different if you study people. There's people that want to be leaders and those typically are the people that need to fall on their face before they can admit they screwed up. And there's people that don't want to make a decision and, you know, you just don't put those people in that situation. So, again, I think there's a lot of similarities between horses and people. I love a statement that I've heard you use before and, and also so uh, admire your dedication to success. But you've said that being successful is 1% vision, 99% alignment. Yeah, I've always been one to be a dreamer, which I think, you know, I, I definitely am a dreamer. And a lot of my dreams are coming true and have come true. So I set goals that are very realistic and very achievable because those goals can give you confidence. And I also set goals that are shooting for the stars. And 
those goals to me are those ones that you have to have an obsession about getting to that you may never reach, but that's the end game, you know, and lucky for me, a lot of those goals that I set were really high. I'm reaching. So now I'm setting goals that, you know, I might be able to tell people then go, no way. Well, that's what fuels me because it's just like this. If I got a horse that can only stop a zero and I try to set my goal as plus one on that horse, never going to reach it. And probably what's going to happen is I'm going to ruin it. But maybe if I say, okay, I want to, that, that horse is only a zero stopper, but my goal is to get him to a plus a quarter. That could be achievable. You got to set realistic goals that you can conquer. And, and they might be simple goals is, okay, I want my horse to get the left lead. Well, that should be achievable. But if you can't get the left lead, there's no way that you should be thinking, I want this horse to change leads today. I've always been really big on setting goals, have a plan. But I also am big on setting long-term goals that to some people, I tell them what my goal is. And they go, you're crazy. Well, thank you for telling me that. That just puts <laughs> a fuel on the fire. Yeah, I, I love the challenge. You know, the goals you set for yourself seven years ago, you've achieved. I know you're moving on with day-to-day goals, but it hasn't always been easy. And, and knowing you as a, a young man, you slept on a lot of couches to get where you are. Though we look and admire you as one of the best rainers in the industry, the road isn't always easy. And lots of young riders want to uh, skip the steps. They want to crowd their success. When you were in school, I knew that you were up at 6.30 in school, riding horses in class, and then on to a job where you were working with horses till 10 or 11 p.m., and back yep. at it again each and every day. And just many aspiring trainers in your boots would have quit school. And I want you yep. to say or tell us how important you felt like gaining that education was to your total success. I think anything that is worth having or achieving is hard because if it's easy, everybody would do it. And if you want to be elite, you have to do the stuff that, that you're I'm not even going to say average people, because to be honest with you, you don't want to be competing with average people. You want to set yourself in a category that you're not in the average group. You have to do stuff that most people will not allow themselves to do, mainly because it's hard. And the only way in my mind, I think a person can get better is by making themselves uncomfortable. You know, I can remember at that point, I was pretty broke. I was lucky that I had people around me that, that believed in me, that helped me out. And I do think most people will do that. But, you know, that part was uncomfortable. The lack of sleep was uncomfortable. But you can train your mind, if you're willing to, now it's very hard, to block those factors out. Like, you have to be able to have tunnel vision and block out the factors that are very difficult. And there's times where, you know, especially as a college kid, there's things that you're going to miss out on because you're setting yourself apart by saying, man, I know that I really could sleep for another hour or two, but I know I need to get up early and get started. And I still believe that. Like, I actually enjoy starting at four or five o'clock in the morning. Mainly, I guess in my mind, I know that a lot of people aren't doing that. And I feel like that just gives me a little bit an edge on them. Early bird gets the worm, right? Yeah. <laughs> gets yep. the championship. And, and, and I tell you, you start early and you never finish earlier, so. It's just the way it is. I am a big fan of Kobe Bryant and his Mamba mentality. Just the way he would look at things, getting up early. Instead of getting one training session, you might get two extras on people. Well, 
maybe and you look at in a week, not that much different. But if you look at five days a week, I get an extra two hours on people. Okay. So at the end of the week, that's 10 hours. Doesn't seem that much, but look at it over a year. That's a lot of training that I put myself in position that I've got an edge on people. If I ride my horses five days a week to six days a week, what I do is I do six days a week on my older horses. Two-year-olds, I don't think they need it. I think they need that second day off of get turned out, just relax, be a horse. But I've looked at it as, okay, if I ride them six days a week, I can make my ride shorter. I don't got to do as much per ride, which helps my horse mentally stay fresh, but also saves their legs. The six-day week, so Saturday, at the end of the year, I was able to ride my horses two months longer, two months more training by riding them on six days a week instead of five days a week. So when you look at it over a year, you know, it makes a big difference. Just doing the little extra things like that can make a huge difference. That's a great way to put it. And we both know people now want to be in Cole Price's shadow. They want to hang around your great personality, but to be a winner, you've got to hang with winners. And a lot of times we're intimidated to walk up to you, you're busy, or to some of the other names that we've admired, but you've always said, don't be scared to ask people how they achieve success and don't be afraid to walk up, shake hands and establish a relationship. I think that's a really strong point that you've always brought out. Yeah, this is a cool spot for me to be in now because, you know, as a head trainer with my assistants, I look at myself as a mentor. And and I really do believe this as most men get older, they actually get a little softer and they tend to want to help people. And I know for myself going through it already, I can see stuff in certain people where you're like, man, that kid really reminds me of myself. And you want to help them. You want to tell them. You don't want to give them everything all at once because that's part of getting better is learning the struggle. If you can't handle the struggle, it's not worth it. So you got to struggle a little bit. I have a lot of passion myself for helping people. And I know that, that the people that I've always looked up to, they've always enjoyed helping me because you share the exact same passion. And most of the same passion is what we talked about. It's an obsession. You have an obsession with horses and you have an obsession with getting better. Yes. Once you get in those crowds, it just, you know, I've always said, when you pick a traveling partner, pick a traveling partner that expects to win. It's not one that's, you know, crying the blues that their horses aren't working, not picking up right, left lead, not changing leads. You get out of the truck on a long journey to your contest you think, I can't win either. This is depressing. It's too hard. So putting yourself in a good position with winners is really important. And Cole, I want to ask you, you know, your, your focus on horsemanship, not necessarily training and winning, but on making good horses, whether or not they make rainers or what you start would make a great barrel horse. So, you know, if he, if he doesn't have the stop you need, we may use him and he'd work great for a raid at our barrels. I want you to go over with our listeners what you look for in buying horses that you put in your string. A lot of it's going to be genetics because for me, genetics is you pick your chances are better. So it helps when they're very good. And not only necessarily when you look at them on paper, but for me, and this is one thing that I've really learned to realize, and I, and I know you'll agree with this, it's not always the most talented horse, but it's the horse that fits you the most. Because there's different types of horses out there and no matter what, and this is one thing that's been a learning curve that you learn how to just accept 
if a horse doesn't fit you, you're not going to get it. And I've been in this situation before where you're like, I know it's a really good horse, but you're trying and trying and trying. And just the way you ride is opposite of how the horse really needs to be ridden. And even though you try to change it, change yourself, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Like for me, I, I've been able to study the bloodlines that work for me. And those are the type of horses that I tend to lean to. Now, with that being said, I'm looking for an individual. Full brothers and full sisters are usually completely different. So genetics for me is a starting point, but I also keep my mind open to not being stuck on genetics. I try to look at it as an individual. Obviously, confirmation. I, I really think your confirmation, I would probably say in most disciplines is very similar. We want a horse that's a little lower hock, shorter cannon bone, stuff like that. But I would probably just bet in in the barrel horses. It's very, very similar. I think a balanced horse will stay sound. I think for us, if they can move good, that's half the battle. And I'm sure it's no different in a barrel horse. They've got to be able to move good. It's efficient. You have wasted steps when they move good, when a horse can be efficient with his feet. So there's a bunch of little stuff that I look for, but in general, I want a horse that's nice. I like a horse that's nice to be around, a horse that wants to be ridden, wants to be trained. For me, the the confirmation, the way they move that and everything swagger is important. When you talk yeah, about swagger, swagger. they got to have something. <laughs> they got to have something special about them. Even if it's a plain sorrel, there's got to be something about the way that horse that, that makes you want to watch them. That's usually the first thing I try to look at. Say I'm looking at sale horses and I walk by the stall and I didn't like it. I don't go back because you'll talk yourself into it. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I do is I look at the horse as an individual. Then I look at the breeding because the breeding will also fool you a lot of times. You'll make yourself want to like it the way it's bred. But like I said, they're individual. They've got to have a certain charisma about them. And again, when you're picking yearlings, it's kind of a crapshoot because you really don't know until you get on their back. When you start softening them, you know, how are they going to take your legs? Are they soft? Are they a real stiff horse? Do they resist? You don't know that until you get on their back. And then for me, you don't really know how good they are until they walk in and show because I've had horses. And this is the one thing you hold your breath about the most, especially in security horses that are incredible outside of the show pen. And then when you walk in and put the, put the bright lights on them, they can't do it or they don't want to. And, and there's people like that too. That is something that just happens. That's hard to teach a lot of owners, but there's horses that want to be show horses. And I'm sure you run into this. There's horses that you can practice and work on and work on. And it's like, man, are you ever going to get it? All of a sudden when you go make a run, it's like, where the hell did that come from? They just put it together. And I do think there's horses that like the bright lights and there's, we call them show horses. Sometimes those horses aren't even the most fun ones to train on, but just like people, that's something you don't know until you put them in that situation. So that's probably the hardest thing about finding a prospect. And it's like our barrel horses, you know, the, like you say, the genetics, it draws our interest and we see yeah. our neighbors winning on a particular bloodline. And so I'm going to have one too. Well, if the horse doesn't fit me, you got to look on and you never know. Yeah. Sometimes those cold blooded horses are a little easier to train, especially for a beginner rider. And, you know, like you say, walking by a stall, if you walk by and uh, not sure that I like him. That confirmation is important because they have little feet. Are they going to hold up? Have they got a short yep. back? No weather. Am I going to be able to keep a saddle from rolling on this horse? 
And you yep. buy a horse with a thought of how he's going to change. If you're not wise in it, more than likely he won't. So you really want to set yourself up for success, not only in buying a horse with confidence. Genetics obviously help the resale if you have to be brave and say, this horse needs to move along. He's not going to work with me. Yep. Which is going to happen. I mean, that's the one thing that, you know, like I said, it's the hardest to teach your owners, but some horses just aren't going to work. To me, when you're dealing with young horses and in the industry, I am training young horses. It's a crapshoot because some horses you start them and you're like, wow, this is the next big thing. And all of a sudden in six months, you're like, wow, you have not gotten a single lick better. And there's horses that you might train for the first year and go, yeah, you're just an average horse, but you're nice. And all of a sudden towards the end of the three-year-old year, they turn it on and you're like, man, that came out of the middle of nowhere and look at this thing. So uh, it, it's an unknowing about training young horses, but I think a lot of it is you got to find the style you like. You got to, first of all, the mind to me, if, if a horse doesn't want to do it, you're not, you're not going to make it do it. You might catch it off guard and get it done once or twice, but it's going to get you. It won't stay that way confirmation has a lot to do because I don't care what industry you're in in order to get a horse broke you spend a lot of hours on it and when you're spending a lot of hours on it you're going to risk soundness issues so confirmation has a lot to do with it you know if your horse is crooked legged you're probably going to run into suspensory issues you know stuff like that so you learn to pretty much have a checkbox and check all those categories off and again just because it's made perfect, bred good, it doesn't mean anything. I've had horses that confirmationally were not built to do what they do, but they, they have the desire to do it. And to me, those are the really special horses. When you were named in 2014 National Level 1 Champion and also Young Up-and-Coming Trainer of the Year, right off the bat, you shine. So, you know, when we walk by some of those stalls and boom, I love this eye. Oh, I like this confirmation papers. Boy, this looks like it's going to be the one. I know what choice you're talking about. You're talking about FM shining tag checks. And when you said swagger, as soon as you said, <laughs> I remembered that we talked about that horse because that horse had so much swag. When Like I remember the first time we walked him out of the stall, like that horse he just had that look at me. And he always had that. That was the way he showed too. But he had that charisma about him in his eye. He had a big old soft eye. He just wanted to be your buddy. But he also had, like, when you'd walk him by other horses, it was almost like a little <laughs> bit of an arrogance to him. That's what we all saw in you. <laughs> had, had your That's clean, good. starched pants on, nice shirt, yeah. nice hat. Hello, nice to meet you. You know, look at me. I'm going to be somebody. I'm in the arena. Sorry, I got to go. Right on the, the National Rain Horse Association. They, they had you in their sights early on. So proud of that. That's pretty cool. That's Cole, cool. Thank you. I know you're busy, but can we take a break to our commercial sponsors? And I sure. want to talk to you a little bit more about the feelings and the phenomenon of Yellowstone and how it's influenced not only the reigning business, but the horse business in general. We'll be right back. Absolutely. And sit tall in the saddle, hold your head up high, keep your eyes fixed where the trail meets the sky. Like you ain't afraid to die And don't be scared Just enjoy your ride 
Flare Equine Nasal Strips are self-adhesive strips that promote optimum respiratory health of equine athletes at every level of competition. The strips reduce airway resistance and improve airflow when your horse needs oxygen most. Veterinarian-developed Flare Strips are a drug-free, simple, cost-effective tool for supporting the long-term respiratory health of all equine athletes that perform in both training and competition with undaunted enthusiasm and heart. Try Flare Strips and experience the benefits for your horse, whether it be at the Kentucky Derby or during occasional weekend competitions or trail rides. Go to flarestrips.com to learn more and find retailers near you. Your horse will be glad you did. MedVet pharmaceutical products are recognized in the industry as the trusted brand. Product ingredient formulas are pharmaceutical grade and certified for potency and purity through the National Animal Supplement Council for high performance. MVP's Gastroplex provides over 15,000 milligrams of high-level active ingredients recognized to support the integrity of soft tissue stomach lining against the abrasiveness of gastric acid. Gastroplex carries a 60-day satisfaction guarantee or 100% money back and is highly recommended by veterinarians and leading professionals, including Sharon Camarillo. Call United Vet Equine at 800-328-6652 and mention the Sharon Camarillo podcast to receive $50 off a two-month supply of Gastroplex. Retails at $108.75. This is Sharon Camarillo's Fun and Fast Times. And now, back to Sharon. We've got Cole Price on the line. Welcome back. Amazing competitor in the Rain Horse Association. He's certainly made a name for himself in the journey and the reigning and, and the industry. Amazing how the industry is growing when a few years ago, we felt like the horse industry was really getting slowed down. But I mean, the, the great genetics that we have in the barrel horse industry and the money that's coming into our different associations is amazing. Can you tell me what you think about the phenomenal influence that Yellowstone and Taylor Sheridan has had on the growth of your personal industry, the National Reining Horse Association? It's funny you bring that up because right before we got on this phone call, me and Kelsey were at the little cantina here and having breakfast and waiting in line is William Shatner. He shows reining horses at the Derby was Sylvester Stallone. We were literally made the comment like, how cool is that? Like, that's really cool to be able to see people like that coming into the industry and not only, you know, just seeing them, but you treat them just like they're a normal person. And I think that's what draws them to it. It was pretty neat how Taylor Sheridan had this vision and incorporated the reining and the cow horse and the cutting. He incorporated it into Yellowstone. Yellowstone reaches a whole new level of people. Honestly, I would probably bet 60% of them have no real interest in a horse or did, maybe just because they didn't know it. And to expose people like that to the Western industry is incredible. You're reaching people that really maybe had no access and they see a reigning horse and they want to look it up. And all of a sudden, now they see this TV show that's advertising called The Last Cowboy about it, and they start watching it. My dad said at work, he works in a factory, and you know most people have no idea what a reining horse was that worked in the factory, and they were really getting into it, you know, and they started following some of these, these trainers that were on this TV show like they knew them. To me, when they did that, they just kind of put the reining on such a pedestal 
And I know this year at Run for a Million, there was so many new people there that followed the TV show that that was their very first horse show they ever went to. They made that their big deal, big vacation because they followed the TV show. That's how you get people interested in maybe getting a horse, becoming a new customer. You know, the way he did it, putting on a worldwide TV show, bringing that excitement in before Yellowstone, we never had a million dollar added event and what it really did is made all of our other big shows such as the fraternity the fraternity for the longest time paid out one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. well after the first run for the million they bumped it up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars to win the fraternity and the next year it's three hundred fifty thousand dollars and i know the goal is to make it pay out five hundred thousand dollars and the national rain breeders classic went up all these shows have the added money has gone up because of probably the competition that, that the run for the million has brought, you know, and, and it's making these things prestige. And as you know, you put the added money in it, the people are going to come to it. So the amount of new people that's coming in and raining, and I really do believe it's based off of Taylor Sheridan's dream or goal is, is incredible right now. I can't wait for the fifth season. Yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting sets my week up. You know, it's an honor to catch up with you, Cole. You've certainly proven to be one of the most determined writers in our industry, regardless of what sport or event it is. You're a mentor and inspiration to all of us. I know you've got a busy afternoon, so our love to Kelsey. Good luck this fall. Good luck this weekend and uh, good luck through the year. Yes, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you to Dave Pratt at Star Worldwide Network for hosting Fun and Fast Times. To our renowned champion producer, Rob Trigg, for making me sound like I know what I'm doing. And my director, Debbie Wood, who gets me on my electronics. Our sponsors, South Point, our home away from home, not only at the Road to the Million, but also the National Finals Rodeo and different events throughout the year. Flair Equine Nasal Strips and MVP for supporting the health of our horses. And a Barrel Racing Superstore. We've all had some challenges receiving things that we've ordered. You know, we get a statement, it's back ordered, it's, it's still on the boat, whatever the case may be. But we're lucky enough to have two of the nicest saddles that Circle Y Rainsman makes in the Barrel Racing Superstore. And if any of you are looking for a saddle, we've got a 14 inch and a 14 and a half inch. You can go online to barrelracingsuperstore.com or you can call Debbie Wood Direct. We've got several other things you might be interested in. So make sure and check us out at barrelracingsuperstore.com. Thank you for joining us and especially Cole Price for making this show. I want to thank Garth Brooks and Chris Ledoux for adding a little bit of fun with the music that I've selected to enhance Cole. For the entire team at SharonCamarillo.com, I want to say thank you again and we'll see you in the next Fun and Fast Times. Thanks for joining Sharon today. If you have any questions or comments, you can always reach out to Sharon at SharonCamarillo.com or email RafterCProductions at gmail.com. We'll see you next time on Fun and Fast Times with Sharon Camarillo, part of Dave Pratt's Star Worldwide Networks. I want